You're listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks, a biblical, practical, and spiritual conversation about living and leading worship. Let's lean into today's episode. Well, hey, thank you so much for joining us for Worshipology today. I'm with my good friend, Chrissy Nordoff, and we met, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. It was back when I was with NCC Worship, and I was doing some songwriting with Integrity Music, and I got to write with you down here in Thompson Station, and just love your spirit. I could immediately tell you're from the North, and so a little (laughs) bit- How is that? (laughs) It's your accent. Why is that? (laughs) It's your accent. It's not like the y'all that most people talk with here in Tennessee, but um, man, Chrissy is an incredible songwriter, an incredible worshiper. Worship leader, resourcing the church, leading brave worship. You just Mm -hmm. came out with a book on songwriting not too long Mm -hmm. ago. I want to talk about all of that today. But before we dive in deep, maybe just give our listeners an overview of how you got into songwriting and worship leading. What's what's that snapshot of the Chrissy Nordoff story? Yes. Okay. (laughs) We got to go way back. Let's go. Um, Okay. So I grew up in a farm in Michigan. See, I knew it. I knew you were from the <laughs> You were right. You were totally right. Busted. Gotcha. Um, and I loved it. It was just open space. And we mm. had, we only had a TV like half the time growing up. So it gave us room for creativity, really. Mm. Um, just spent so much time outside and in the woods and all that. Mm-hmm. So I started writing songs at age five, really, on the back pasture of that farm. Wow. And um, it was literally right after um, my grandma passed away. And she had mm-hmm. taught me like my very first few things on the piano. Mm. And so in some ways, I feel like looking back now, I can say, Um, you know, part of her was passed on to me, that love for music, Mm. because that's where I fell in love with music was at her piano. Wow. And um, just watching her play by ear. She was all just just played by ear. She didn't read music, but an incredible just gift that Mm. she gave me sitting at her piano. So started writing at five. No one really knew that that's what I was doing (laughs) Um, in that area. People didn't really do that, you know, like they weren't sure what to do with that. Um, so I took piano lessons and all that, grew up singing in churches and um, choirs and all that. Went to Anderson University in Indiana. Okay. And uh, there was one class there that changed everything for me. It was Songwriting 101 mm. uh, with Gloria Gaither. And so she nice. taught like just a short amount of time and um, I was able to have her as a professor. And I just remember bawling every time i'd leave i'd be in tears and just just how she was describing things mm-hmm. were really clicking with my spirit and i was understanding her um on a very deep level and what she spoke into me i had no idea would change the trajectory of my life and so um it blossomed after that like my writing and i moved to nashville right after i finished college so that was 26 years ago wow. so i've been here my entire adult life And, um, did you know while you were in college that you wanted to end up in Nashville? Yes. So I had visited, um, we came to the Dove Awards, the 25th Dove Awards. That was one of my first trips down here. We just had our 52nd. So that tells you how long ago that was. But, um, it was quite a trip. Like my car blew up on a parking garage floor, third floor downtown and, Mm. Um, it was wild. We drove through the night. Of course, we had no money for hotels. We ended up having to call the Gaithers for a ride to the <laughs> Dove Awards. That's amazing. And so it was really fun. We got to ride in their limo in the back seat, and we were just cracking up. We had the best time, and I fell in love with the city and mm. just felt called here. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew 
I was called to Christian music. I really thought I was going to chase the artist thing. Mm. And so I did at first when I came to town and had a record deal and then it fell through. Um, but it gave me an opportunity to get a close up picture of what that career would look like. Wow. And if I felt like that would be what I could carry, you know, personally. Mm-hmm. And I knew I wanted to have a family. And so I actually chose not to chase that route mm. after the whole thing fell through. We decided, um, my husband and I, that I was met Eric here, uh, decided I'd do the independent artist thing. And that was very new at the time. Worship still was not in the picture. Okay. Um, at that point in time. Yeah. And uh, started chasing the artist thing. I did that for a long time. So I released independent albums. We toured just on our own doing festivals. What was the time frame of that? Let's see. So that would have been, um, 98 through, let's see, 2015. Okay. So quite a while. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But just on and off as I could. And I was writing for myself most of that time. I was doing co-writing also, um, during that time and writing for others. But most of what I was writing was for my records Mm. and stuff. And so, um, and were you like leading in churches during this whole time? And and did any of that writing kind of siphon off into worship writing? You know, what's so weird, probably the very first worship song I ever wrote was, um, I would say around 98 maybe, but we're again, worship wasn't a genre. And so there wasn't like a category for it yeah but we did sing that song in church wow i did share that in my home church and i was always in some way involved with the worship team i was always on the worship team i actually never have been a lead worship pastor um so i've always been on the team sort of a thing like just singing or playing an instrument as well because i know piano is a is a thing Piano Grandma's is piano. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, I'm not as gifted as my grandmother musically <laughs> when it comes to playing by ear. I yeah. wish I actually, I think I was born that way, but I was trained to read music. And so mm. then it sort of messed up my, my ear. Like mm-hmm. I literally still have nightmares that I don't have music in front of me. Oh man. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. It is. It's crazy. So, so so you your first song, do you remember the title of that song that was sung in a church? You Are a River. You Are, I like that. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And so you're doing the independent artist thing, releasing albums, and then mm-hmm. what kind of what, what kind of spawns out of that? Yeah. So um, 2009, 2009, 2008, 2008. Okay. That's when a big shift happened for me. Okay. So my church was recording their first uh, album. Okay. And that was a big deal at that point in time. It was right at the beginning when things were really starting to roll as far as worship was concerned, mm-hmm. the genre. And I was starting to understand. I actually had somebody sit me down and say, Hey, like, this is actually what a worship song is and what you're singing. It might be worshipful, but it's not congregational. Okay. And here's what makes songs congregational. Can you tell me what that was? What that was? The difference between congregational yes. and, hey, what you're singing might not actually be considered that. Yeah. So I had released an album. I remember I was singing a song called Downpour mm-hmm. on this tour, mm-hmm. um, and it was in the I tense. So okay. the shift was the thinking of the we tense would be better in a congregational setting. And that, I was like so mad when I, wow. <laughs> when I first had that conversation. I was so mad. 
because it was worship to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And honestly, it's so crazy. But now, if as you follow trends, I mean, that would fit now. You were, you were a trendsetter. You didn't even know it. <laughs> That's right, it. Curtis. That's right. Wow. So, um, so it was kind of all bubbling. Our first time I was part of a worship um, album was that year and um, mm-hmm. brought in a song called Your Great Name wow. to co-write. Yeah. Um, and ended up, it made the recording, mm-hmm. but I didn't know I wasn't going to be singing it until, and I was hugely pregnant. I'd been having kidney stones. So I, I mean, there was reasons, but mm. um, didn't know I wasn't going to be singing it until we rehearsed. Wow. And someone else stepped out and my heart sank and um, just felt like the Lord said, I'm, I'm going to teach you something through this sing in the choir mm-hmm. and I'm going to show you what happens if you'll let go. Wow. Um, so that song, um, taught me how to let go. And it also taught me that I could stay home and raise my babies and my songs could take my heart and travel. Wow. And so, um, that was a big shift for me, just understanding the role of a songwriter Yeah, and how I actually had been that the whole way through. Mm. I was more of a songwriter the whole time than mm-hmm. an artist. Now, how can you tell, like if somebody's listening and they're like, well, I love yep. to write songs, but I want to be an artist. Is there a, cause obviously a lot of artists do write their own songs, but then right. there's a ton of songwriters, especially here in Nashville that, Hey, we just want to fuel the songs. We don't want to be out there on the road and doing the artist thing. Mm-hmm. And what's that main recognition point when you're like, Oh, I just want to write. You right. Know, I, I don't, I don't need to be the artist. The songs can travel. And I think, mm-hmm. Your songs don't have to just find one home. I mean, right. for instance, your great name has been on multiple records, mm-hmm. and of course, Natalie Grant, kind of uh, one of the main carriers of yeah. that song. But mm-hmm. h- how do you find out like whether you're going to be an artist or a songwriter, and is it more common to maybe do both? I would say any more. It's been really interesting because things have shifted over time because mm-hmm. artists all want to now be writers mm-hmm. because that matters in a publishing sort of way. Right, right. Um, but if you're looking at giftings alone, okay. Um, I would say I would say that artists usually love to be on stage. Like they get fired up being out there and um, you know, having interaction with with the crowd mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have larger than life personalities usually. Um and then if you're looking at a typical writer, um, sometimes they're a little more introverted. They feel more comfortable being in a conversational type, a smaller conversational type atmosphere mm. than stepping out onto a stage in front of, you know, large numbers of people, which that was what defined it for me. Gotcha. Like, I just feel comfortable in the writing room. Like, mm-hmm. it's... I could do that forever. It energizes me. Got you. And if I have to step out on stage and perform, I, it does not energize me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a real good question to ask yourself. What gives you energy? Mm. Um, what makes you feel joy and fulfillment? Is it one or the other or is it both? Maybe it is both. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me throw a curveball at you. Okay. So in the world of leading worship, mm-hmm. you know, and it's obviously like our goal is not to be the attention getters, but to help people connect with the presence of God and, you know, point people towards Jesus. Where is the line of artistry and leading worship when it comes to that heart, um, to make sure that you're not, 
you know, because there is a term worship artist. Right. And, Which and is so, kind of you know, weird, right? It feels like that's kind of more. Yeah kind of been fleshed out, I guess, over the last 10 years or so. I don't know. I could be wrong on that, but you're starting to see more and more worship artists. And of course, now in the last five years, this massive shift on radio has been all worship where it was more CCM and pop artists that were believers. And, um, you know, it's just interesting. You don't see that that much now. And just, it feels like worship has become industrialized a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that kind of feels wrong in some sense, but it's also... Um, you know, there's a lot of artists that are like, Hey, this is how I, uh, live out my artistry and it is for the Lord. And so what, where's that line there between yeah. a worship artist, worship leader, worship pastor, how does it all kind of, you know, converge? Yeah. Well, I think in all honesty, like when you're an artist, there's an acceptable level of performance mm-hmm. and the shift for me when it comes to a worship leader um, is that you have to make sure you're filtering out all performance. Mm. Um, so I don't think you can have any, I mean, I think it's still good to be an extrovert and to be, a, you know, love people and love to be in the atmosphere where you're, um, pouring into people. Mm-hmm. But I think, um, the posture should not be performance anymore at all. Yeah. Um, and it should be more listening. Mm. Um, more listening in the moment to what is God saying. And really there's a place for both things, right? Like we'll go to, you know, sometimes a secular concert just for a performance where it's just fun, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're just enjoying it. But we want to just be careful as worship artists, so to speak, um, that we're not entertaining, Mm. Um, that we're actually hosting. That's really good. The presence. Explain the difference for those that are listening, because I love the hosting the presence language. Yes. You know, that's one of the things that we used even at, as I was a campus pastor early really? on at National Community Church. It was like wow. our our goal here is to host the presence of God. Uh huh. And explain that. How how do you be a good host right. of the presence of God, and how do you make sure that you're not veering into that entertainment mindset? Right. So it's just a frame of mind. It's who is your focus. Mm. If your focus is an audience, then you will be entertaining and you will be performing. Wow. If you're looking for some sort of, um, I don't know what the word feed is. Feed me, feed yeah, me. Yeah, yes. Yeah. You're hungry for some response. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for a response and that feeds you and that continues that cycle of performance. Whereas mm. if you're hosting the presence of God, you're mostly focused, you're, you're all focused on him and how you can help other people experience the presence of God. Wow. So looking into faces and noticing um, if there's a moment where you actually need to stop and pray, mm-hmm. um, or if there's a specific person in the, in the congregation that you know, you know, needs a touch from the Lord, or just being willing in those moments to do maybe unconventional and uncomfortable things, if that's what God's telling you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we're willing to do whatever he says, that is the best host. I mean, if you think about hosting someone that comes over for dinner, for instance, right? Um, You make sure they feel welcome. And if they have a special request, if they, you know, want a certain thing or, or need something special as far as, you know, dinner or whatever, you take all of those things into mind when you're preparing. Mm -hmm. And, and I guess that would be another 
that would be another point. That's good, really good house prepare. That's really good. And a lot of times, like if I know someone's gluten-free, for instance, I'll have the meal way planned out before they arrive. If I just showed, if they showed up and I had to come up with something in my house for dinner, yeah, I would be grabbing for whatever I could find. And sometimes that's how we show up mm. versus how have you prepared? How has your heart been prepared? What has God been speaking to you before you step into that service? Wow. What has he been telling you that week? Who do you know needs prayer? Um, you know, how have you prepared with the pastor and what the mm-hmm. pastor's hearing from the Lord? All of those things, as much as you can prepare before the service, um, will help you to host in a much more relaxed way. I love that because I think oftentimes if you've been leading worship, you know, so I mean, I've been, I've been leading worship since I was a teenager. So yeah. easy. It's right. It's so easy to drift into autopilot mode. Mm-hmm. Hey, I don't need to prepare. We'll just do these songs and this, and I'll get the notes of the band. Yes. And we'll plug in the tracks and we'll do this and that. And you show up and you, you know, and, and oftentimes people can get in that rhythm of just autopilot, yes. but there's always a very tangible difference between uh-huh. A host that's prepared yes. and one that hasn't. And you know, you've gone to dinner together. where yes. it's like a last minute meal and you're like, okay, are they ca- call and order pizza? Somebody else is <laughs> right. doing all the prep. Somebody else is, yes. Somebody else serves good the meal. Good point, yes. And, and I just think that's there's good. so much amazing mm-hmm. depth to that language of mm-hmm. hosting the presence of God, being a good host. And as a worship leader, worship pastor, worship team, mm-hmm. you get that privilege to host the presence of God yeah, yes. and those difference makers. And you know this, like the difference mm-hmm. between a service where God shows up. I always tell people that are on worship teams, if I get a chance to just spend some time with them and say, Hey, look, yeah. the Holy Spirit serves the meal, but we set the table. Wow. So yeah. do you set it with plastic or China? Right. And and, and that's wow. the difference between mm-hmm. the care that you bring in to hosting the presence mm. of God. That's so good, Chrissy. Mm. I love that. You know, yeah. we've, we've been talking a lot about um, the presence of God as it pertains to worship. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, even that language, like explain to me um, just a moment where that's happened in your life where it was mm. like, wow, God showed up in such a powerful way here mm. and how that kind of just yeah, change your life and, and open up your perspective on the power of worship. Yeah. Well, for me, of course, it's always um, more song-based. Mm-hmm. So I remember a specific song where um, I was in the writing room. It was with Michael Farron, actually, and we nice. had a third person in the room, and we wrote a song for that other person who was the artist that day we were serving him, and he stepped out. We were supposed to be recording the demo for him. Mm-hmm. He, he stepped into another right. And um, we just started talking about where our hearts really were. Mm. And within 30 minutes, we wrote a song. Um, that song was called Fighting for Us. Wow. And um, we were also thinking about a lady in our church that had cancer. Mm. And so um, I just remember the first Sunday when we did that live, um, just how much it meant to her and um, so many others too in the congregation, but it just felt like our listening and our um, paying attention to what God was saying. Cause a lot of times as writers and as worship leaders, what God is doing in us, he's also doing in someone else in our congregation. Wow. And it always, a lot of times there's just all these parallels that line up and it's for a reason. Mm. And so, um, 
being mindful and being attentive of what God did in that 30 minutes gave us the ability to bring a new song mm. to worship that week that um that was an anthem for for several people but it was for the lady that we had in mind you know and later on when she passed away that song was sung at her funeral wow um and i have often said when there's a song that i get to bring um, to a congregation, it feels the same to me as um, when I prepare a meal for my family wow. and I get to feed them and they enjoy it. You know, you just hit something that's really interesting because oftentimes when the Holy Spirit is speaking something to me mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm having a conversation with another believer, especially somebody in our church, it's yep. like, he's been saying the same thing to me. Yes. And I think when God gives you a song as a writer, mm-hmm. It's not just for you oftentimes. Right. Sometimes it is. Right. And that's totally cool because sometimes as you write, you just release something that you need to get out. Yes. But oftentimes he will give you something that is for the body at large. Mm -hmm. And it's just so amazing. Like the way that the Holy Spirit moves, he's a spirit of unity. And so he draws people together and points to Jesus. And I just love the fact that you can write something and it's so timely Mm -hmm. in that moment. Hmm. Not just for what you're walking through, but for other people in your congregation. And then there's those specific songs. And I know you've written some where it's like, man, this is catching fire in congregations all Mm -hmm. across the world. Hmm. And I I mean, if I can, I'd love to just jump into, because obviously, um, you know, you've written a lot of songs that uh, have made it onto radio and onto worship albums and I'm a big fan of the the famous uh, do what you're famous, famous for, for yeah. with with Torin Wells and can you just like I'm gonna throw you a little curveball here okay. but maybe unpack a little bit of the the story with that particular song because yeah. that has been a song that's resonated with a lot of people I love the lyric it says hmm. something different but it's familiar and hmm. yeah just unpack a little bit of the story on that song yeah have a little fun here <laughs> okay um, that song in particular it started really like. Most of my mornings start, which I sing the Psalms in the mornings. Love it. So I call it psalming, and I teach that a lot too when I'm teaching Mm. about songwriting. So I just opened up to Psalm 79 that day. And um, I mean, it's, it's, I always teach that we never go to the Psalms and sing to get something, you know, Mm. but sometimes um, the Lord gives us something. Wow. And that morning, I just heard a melody um, when I was reading the words. Get us out of this mess. Forgive us of our sins. Do what do what you're famous for doing. And so I began to sing, uh, get us out of this mess. Forgive us of our sins. Do what you are famous for. What you are famous for. And then I took that little piece into a co-write mm. that I was walking into that day. And um, I was working with Chuck Butler, which I've worked with Chuck quite a bit. He's a producer here in town. Mm-hmm. And he had an independent artist named Alexis Slifer. And so the three of us finished that song that day, version wow. one. Yeah. Um, Chuck shared it with Torin, who he had worked on some previous things with. Mm-hmm. And um, it was very unlikely that he would take something that had already been released, rework it, and re-release it, but that's what happened. Wow. So Chuck and Torin kind of took it from there, hmm. um, changed the bridge and a little bit of the where the the verses were hitting on the lines, mm-hmm. um, just sort of shifted things a little bit musically, mm-hmm. and um, and then Torin carried it. Wow. And uh, it didn't happen for, I think it was three years later 
when wow. Torin re-released See, not it. a lot of people realize how long the life of a song yeah. can take to really emerge. Yes. Wow. And many times by the time it's out and you hear it, you're already tired of it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this song is so played in my home. Yeah. Wow. So you yeah. hit on a couple of things, even in that process of waiting for that moment to kind of hit with Torin and all that. Yeah. But, but you, you know, people kind of took the song and, and maybe did some surgery on it. Yeah. And one thing as a songwriter is like, you have to really be okay with when you put something on the table, right. Uh, you can't grab it off. You know, it's, exactly. it's going to go through some changes and explain some of that for those who may be just getting into writing or they're starting to write with their church and for their church. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, you never want to walk into normally into a co-write with a full song, right? Yeah. Because that's, thank hard you to, for saying it's that. so hard to <laughs> let go of first of all, but it doesn't give other people a chance to move much around. Right. In general. So always, yeah, they say to come with open hands. So mm-hmm. it's better to come with less. That situation was a little different because it was a full song oh, wow. um, when they started doing the surgery, as you mm-hmm. so well put. Um, but they totally chopped out the bridge. And But I wasn't there for that. I wasn't in the room for that part of it. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I guess so, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Then you hear it. I mean, then you just get it. you hear it back. You get and you're an like, MP3 back and right go, on. Okay, yeah. this is it. Yeah. Um, but I loved what they did. Mm-hmm. I, and it actually made it better. It actually made it a lot better. And so wow. that was a good situation. You know, sometimes you get it back and you're just not sure how you feel mm-hmm. um, about the changes, or maybe you don't even like the changes that were made. But fortunately for me, I've never had that happen with a larger artist. Okay. You know? Um, so, yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, I know you do a lot of songwriting clinics and in a minute I want to get into yeah. some of the the resources that you've created and Brave Worship and what's going on with that. Mm-hmm. But for those who are writing for their church, because I do uh, connect with a lot of churches that mm-hmm. uh, they always tell me like, man, we're just starting to write or like, you know, we, we want to dabble into this yep. and it's becoming more and more of a common thing. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think the biggest thing is like, make sure that you're writing for your church for your first church. and foremost, because mm-hmm. uh, I think a lot of artists or wannabe artists, if I can mm-hmm. say that, mm-hmm. get eyes beyond their church yep. and it doesn't work well that way. I've know? never seen it work to mm-hmm. tell you the truth, wow. Curtis. I've so many times uh, I'll write with a worship team that comes to town and mm-hmm. they're, they'll tell me their target. Mm. Like, and it's always the last greatest hit, whatever just happened. <laughs> and, um, anytime you're shooting, it's never for... some obscure song from the seventies. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. Cause we can hit that really quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it's really interesting to me how if we set our own sights on what we think we need and, and we put up so many boundaries, mm for what can fit in that, you know, box, it's really hard to write a song. First of all, it takes away a lot of creative freedom. Mm. Um, and I've never tried to shoot for a worldwide target like that and had it work. Not one time. In fact, there's a song that's probably going to radio soon that Mm -hmm. I had a co-write with a couple guys, um, few months back. And, um, it was just, it was, we didn't show up to write a, a song. I mean, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But we didn't show up to write a hit that day. Yeah. We just said for fun. We were like, let's just worship. Wow. And out of that, like no striving, mm. pure place was birthed this song that I believe has potential mm. um, to do more, so much more than if we would have said, let's write a radio hit today, right. guys. Like right. you can't hit that target. No. You can't 
honestly, because, and I don't think that, I think the Holy Spirit helps navigate songs. Mm. And no, you can feel, especially in our world in Christian music, if a song is not birthed in worship and yet it's called a worship song, mm. that thing's going to fall. Wow. That is not going to last or stand. Wow. It has to be birthed in worship for it to be a true worship song and people can feel it. Wow. People know. Have you had, and it sounds like this could have been one of those moments, but I remember yeah. when we were writing for some different albums at National Community and, mm-hmm. and and we just had these things called Creative Fridays where we just come together, we spend an hour in prayer in the morning and then somebody oh, would pick up a guitar, somebody would open a scripture and I would say 90% of the songs that we wrote for our church mm-hmm. that did end up on albums came out of those moments of yes. just worship yes. where there was no agenda and it was like, I agree oh wow, that. somebody happened to you know hit a voice memo record yeah. and and these genuine songs were birthed out yes. of that. Is that a great way for like teams that are kind of dabbling in this? Hey, just 100%. worship together. hundred yeah. percent. In fact, we do a lot of times we'll go in and if people don't know where to start, mm. um, we have resources to help. But one of the first things I have worship teams do is open up the Psalms, mm-hmm. get the same translation, pick a chapter mm. and everybody sing a verse, go down the line. Wow. And sing out loud and watch what happens. It's crazy. Wow. When we simply sing the word of God. And I believe if we know scripture well, mm-hmm. especially if as songwriters, if we know the Psalms and they're they're hidden in our heart, that we then will carry the language of worship and we won't have to worry or think about it. Mm. Um, it's just it'll it'll come out of you. Whatever yeah. you put in comes out. That's so good. I love that nugget. Just open up the Psalms and read and sing. Can we get a couple more nuggets? And and, and tell us about the, you know, you you recently released a, I mean, you told me March 1st, 2020, a book on songwriting. Tell our our listeners a little bit about that. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah, share a couple more nuggets maybe out of that resource. Sure. Um, It's called Writing Worship, Mm -hmm. How to Craft Heartfelt Songs for the Church. Mm. So that is all that, that's all that it's about. So we have a free leader's guide on my website, christynordoff.com. So if teams want to go through something together, you can use that as a resource. And it's really meant to help give a foundation. Mm. So we talk a lot about heart things and how to prepare, like we were talking about, how to Mm -hmm. prepare to host the presence of God. We talk about that a lot. We go through, um, you hear a little bit about my story. Um, I talk about the songwriter personality test, which I created All right, and it's free. Anybody can take it. Yeah. Um, it's really helpful because it tells you what your strength is and then it helps you to know what kind of co-writers you should be looking for. Wow. And so it'll help set you up for success in a little Myers-Briggs version for a songwriter. I love that. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Exactly. It's very helpful in setting up co-writes. So if you're setting up co-writes for your team, you can use that as a guide. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we talk about co-write etiquette. Um, how to handle things, how to speak to one another, what to say, what not to say. Um, you have to have honor and honesty in the room or it's not mm. going to work. Those two things are necessary. Um, and then we talk about purpose, why we're doing what we do. Um, and like we were saying before, sometimes it's just for God alone. Sometimes wow. we're just blessing him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it goes, there's many different reasons, but all the way to the worldwide song. And I would guess that those worldwide songs don't have as much uh, impact, maybe even as some of the other categories of songs mm. uh, that we write and sing, either for God, for ourselves, for our friends, or for our church. Wow. Um, 
in general generational ways that we may never see this side of heaven. Wow. And, um, yeah. That's so. cool. I mean, we're going to share that in the show notes, christinordoff.com. You can get some free resources and then check out that book on yep. writing worship. That's going to be huge uh, help for anybody that's jumping into that side mm-hmm. of ministry. What made you want to start creating resources for songwriters? Was it just yeah. you, you saw the gap and you're like, man, mm-hmm. let's, let's do something about that? Yeah. So when I moved to Nashville, um, I prayed for a mentor for 15 years. Wow. And um, finally, the 15th year, I said, Lord, why are you not answering this prayer? Like, this is a good prayer. I I really need help shepherding through this, someone to shepherd me through this industry, family, ministry, all of these things. There was no one, no female. Mm. And um, I heard the Lord say to me, be what you need. And so it wow. flipped my perspective. And, um, and I began to think about, I, I didn't know everything, but I knew some things and mm-hmm. I could help in some ways. And so, um, I began mentoring that was 11 years ago Wow! and birthed the ministry called brave worship. Yes. Um, so it was, it was originally, it was all females. It still is. Brave worship is a female ministry to songwriters. Okay. Anyone's welcome to join. We have. Uh, a group on Facebook, and we've got an Instagram account, Brave Worship. But out of that, um, we took a trip to Scotland, a writing trip, and we came back, and uh, the girls were saying, we want to learn more. Wow. We need more. And so I would write a week's worth of um, curriculum, basically, and they'd come in to this room here. We had people flying in. I just did 12 the first round, Mm -hmm. and um, I would teach, and then we would write, and then they'd go home and work on some things, and then they'd come back, and we did it for eight weeks. Wow. Um, but that's where the curriculum began to be really birthed. It was mm-hmm. out of a need from our own community. Mm. And so um, that sort of you know, cleared the path for the book, Writing Worship. Um, we actually have a community now, Writing Worship Community, which is guys and girls. Okay. Um, Facebook, Instagram, all the things. And uh, we have courses, and we're continuing to add to our course list. Um, If we see a need, if we know a need that's come up, and we know someone gifted to teach whatever that topic is, we'll pull them in to do a course. Wow! So we offer several courses. The heart of what we do is the mentorship, which is the one that I taught um, Mm. very first of all. And uh, so that's a nine-week online deep dive. Um, but we've also, we've got a conference coming up in September, Yes, um, which I told you about mm-hmm. the 26th through the 28th. And so we'll be downtown Franklin. Is here. that the first one? Second one. Okay. We second did one. one last year Yep, mm-hmm, and this will be our second one. So now tell me a little bit more about brave worship. I mean, it sounds like it started out of this idea of like, Hey, nobody, I couldn't find anybody to mentor me. Let me be what you need. Yes. I love that phrase. Be what you need. Um, how did it kind of morph into what it is today? Are you guys releasing albums? I know you're writing together. Is it a community? Is it a a collective of songwriters? What exactly is Brave Worship and where are you headed with it all? Yes, it's both. It's a community and a collection of songwriters. (laughs) Um, We do everyday life together all the time. Wow. Um, But we also have an extended family on uh, online. So Mm -hmm. anytime we do any kind of live event, a coffee, we do monthly coffees. Um, we'll zoom it. So people, we had somebody in Malaysia on our coffee yesterday. So people just zoom in from wherever. Um, we do quarterly worship events just to worship, Mm. nothing else. And we do quarterly prayer 
nights. So um, we did the we did release an album last year. It was sort of a celebration of our ten years of wow. brave worship. Wow! And um, all of those songs were birthed from our community, from our songwriters, and sung by our girls. We had a I think we had twenty two in the choir. Um, that night and we were broken into two pieces so it was like we were facing each other and it was just like we know each other's stories um we're a community you know we know each other's hearts and so when we look across the room Mm. and sing some of those lyrics that we were singing during that um i mean it was it was just full. It Doesn't it mean full. so much more? And isn't it much easier to write when you are doing life with yes. those that you're writing with and yes. getting to know? I, I remember one of the first times I stepped into a co-write in Nashville mm-hmm. years ago and uh, I was writing with Travis Ryan. Yeah. And uh, we ended up writing this great song. But I, I just remember like I came with an idea and I was like, man, let's go for it. And he's like, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, like <laughs> tell me about your family. Tell me what you're right. up to. Tell me what God's speaking to you. And, yeah. and I just, it really caught me off guard because I, I came in with an agenda. I really mm. did. Like, let's write a song. Yeah. You know, I've got two more rights today. And, right. and Travis really stopped me in my tracks and yeah. we ended up talking and became great friends that day because mm. of everything that happened outside of picking up our guitars. Right. And I just think there's such a, beauty behind that where it, it does become more about relationships yeah. and isn't the best thing always birthed out of relationship. Yes. And I think you guys are living that out with brave worship. Yeah. You know, you're talking about real life, real worship, giving space. That yeah. leads me to a question I love to kind of close out the podcast with. Okay. Um, Spirit led worship is a real common denominator in a lot of these episodes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think without the Holy Spirit, uh, we're just leading out of our own strength, out of our own cup. But yes. tell me what your thoughts are on spirit-led worship. What does that mean to Chrissy Nordoff? Mm. And, and how do you live a life yep. that does worship being led by the Holy Spirit? Well, it's not just on the stage or not just in the room. Mm. Um, Darlene Check once said to me that worship should be a well-worn path. Wow. Um, and I've carried that since she said that. Wow. So what it looks like for me um, it's this room in the mornings. It's, mm. it's putting in my time with the Lord, whether, whether I feel like it or not, whether I'm, you know, just being committed, it's commitment. Um, it's discipline, mm. honestly. Mm. And, um, because I know that when I do that and when he speaks to me, then I'm learning to hear his voice wow. so that in the moments when I'm in those other places, if I'm on stage or if I'm in the writing room, um, it's there's no shock to me because I've learned earlier that day or I remembered again fresh mm. for a new day how to hear his voice. Mm. Um, so for me, it would be being a good listener. Wow. Being a good listener, that is how you can lead worship well. I love that. Learning how to listen, that's the most important thing in my opinion. So Well-worn path. Well-worn path. Man. For me, that's sitting at that piano, singing the Psalms in the mornings, Mm -hmm. journaling and listening for the Lord Mm. to speak back to me when I'm journaling and reading the Word of God in the mornings. And if I can get those three things um, in my day, then I know that whatever else comes that day, I'll be prepared. Well, Chrissy, tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, tell us one more time when that conference is coming up. 
Yes. So our conference is September 26th through 28th. It's going to be at the 4th Avenue Church of Christ, downtown Franklin. Um, And then also at the Franklin Theater. We're going to be doing a pro writer's round at the Franklin Theater. Um, You can find more information at writingworship.co, C-O. Braveworship.com if you're a female. And uh, chrissynordoff.com. Love it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Worshipology with Curtis Parks. To learn more and to find resources for worship leaders and teams, you can visit curtisparks.com.